The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five rematches in MMA with special guest co-host Spencer Kite. This was a fun trip down memory lane, folks, so strap in. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com, as well as ActionNetwork.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA, but in a slightly different way. With the rare uh, USC off week, we like to kind of jump back into time with top five episodes. History keeps building before our eyes, and it's fun to kind of take a trip back and do a little bit of segments uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, I, I use this idea, top five is everywhere, but off a podcast from the Film Vault, they'll do like top five bad cops or this or that. Like, why not do this with MMA? And today, uh, I'm going to need a co-host for these, so I, I often need co-hosts who I really have a knowledge base, you know, I, I can lean on too, you know, not just to do the, the, the topic justice. So um, it's no disrespect or whatever, but it's an absolute respect to whoever I bring on. And this week, I had to bring this man back on, been meaning to bring him back on. Uh, we could use so many more guys like Spencer Kite in this space. That is right. It is at Spencer Kite. What up, Spencer? Hey man, thank you. I appreciate that intro. It's it's good to be back. I'm always happy when you reach out and we get to do one of these and do a little bit of like thinking through of okay, what's what's my list? I'm a I'm a list guy. And so going down and you know, building out a big list, getting that down to a short list, and then getting it down to a top five is is good good fun for me. So I appreciate it. It's fun. It's tough, but again, like it's not just me, you know, blowing smoke here. Uh, when you peel back the onion this far as we do, we we kind of get in depth into these topics on this show. Um, you really, you know, if if you didn't come prepared or what whatnot or haven't been watching the sport for a while, uh, it might be tough to kind of stay afloat, if you will. And I don't have to worry about that with you. Uh, at all, Spencer, you're a guy that's just like uh, I massively respect because of your knowledge base. And even though our Dunbar's number gets absolutely challenged, you know, with the UFC schedule, especially as it is now, um, to fit names in your head, uh, the fact that you can still remember a lot of things really impresses me, man. So, well, I appreciate that, man. It, uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's a rare off week. It's really quite nice to not have anything to do specifically this Saturday. It's a Tuesday here that we're taping this, not to let people know behind the curtain. I don't know when this is going to drop, but like it's the second Tuesday that I haven't had to do Contender Series, so that's been weird too. It's like, Oh, this is, this is what Tuesday nights are like. I, I, I can do things. I can take my dog for the walk. Great. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I, I'm also on the contender series beat. So I feel you. And yeah, not, we, we, not to timestamp these episodes too much. Uh, but again, it's no, no hard and fast rules here, but yeah, man, I'm coming off of uh, you know, contender series is over, but this is the first week I feel it. Because we had that air quote off week, rare UFC off week a couple weeks ago, but there was a contender series there. And again, for those right. of us who work that beat, or if you work Bellator or other other beats as well, um, you're not, you know, you might not feel that air quote off week, uh, as it were. So, um, 
for me, this is like honestly my first off week in like 21 weeks. I did the math going back to June because we had that 17 week stretch. And again, if you're on contender series, you don't get that off week. Then it's followed by, and this happens every year where I'm like, okay, I can't wait to take a break, uh, but I, I don't want to request till after contender series is done, right? And every time the UFC always schedules a pay per view for right after that week. And as you know, Spencer, those pay per view weeks, there's no taking times off on those. It's all hands on deck. That's right. So I've been waiting to exhale. This is me crossing the finish line. But again, we are. I'm not complaining here. Uh, I know Spencer isn't. We are so grateful. We are so privileged. We are so lucky to be doing this work. But it is extra fun uh, doing these type of episodes. So without further ado, we've got on cue for you guys today, top five rematches in MMA. That's right. Not just UFC. Uh, not just modern era. We, we opened the door for, for everything here. And, and I may even, you know... Maybe it might not make the list. Maybe it's an honorable mentions. We'll see. But I've got stuff ranging from the 90s uh, to Japanese organizations to all over the board. So we'll see where we end up. Um, what do you make of a list like this? Because it's so broad, right? It's so broad. When I when I put this on your table, I, I, I come up to your proverbial desk. I drop it on in front of you. Like, What are your thoughts, Spencer? So I knew I could count on you to go well outside the octagon. And so I've got a couple like honorable mentions and like, as you said, so sort of older ones that can pull that, that that, that'll make the list and things like that. And one that makes my top five for sure. But for me, rematches are so fascinating because I mean, we just saw it very recently. We, anytime we see them, right. You have that first fight or in some cases, the second fight to be able to pull from and draw from that just gives you that added excitement, that added tension that hangs over every fight. And whether it's, you know, it was one-sided or it was super close and you're wondering who's going to make up the difference or who's going to gain the advantage. They're just, there's something about a rematch. It's why we love them in sports. It's why we love them, especially in combat sports, because so much can change and sometimes it does, but other times it doesn't. And it just ends up being the same thing. And we see it a second time, and whether it's good or bad or the other, they're still compelling in that lead up because of that history. And any to me, anytime you can insert history and, and add chapters to the story, I'm in even more. Absolutely. And it's funny, and not to timestamp again too much, right now, it's almost ironic that we slash especially I as someone who's, who's kind of complained about this again not not seriously complained this is this is this is awesome what we get to do but there's been almost a rematch fatigue this is being recorded in you know 2023 and between 2021 arguably to 2023 we've seen a disproportionate amount of rematches if you look at the timeline of the UFC even just alone um, but that being said there's been some great rematches just within that timeline that maybe we talk about maybe we don't we'll see. Um, but what I noticed, and that was a great set, uh, I couldn't, that was a great setup, Spencer, that I couldn't put it any better, but uh, let me bounce this back at you. What I noticed, you know, maybe using the, the film analogy, bringing it back to there, um, maybe there's a lot of in-between and we just forget about the in-between, but for me, it feels very polarizing rematches in MMA. We either get like Godfather 2, right, where you're talking about sequel better than the original, um, or, uh, you know, you get just these weird, like Rose, you know, a uh, Carla two fights or these like kind of staring match fights. And I, I don't want to broad brush, but if I, if I were, um, I feel like we get a lot of that with rematches. Am I off base here, Spencer? Do you have any, any feelings on that? I don't know if you're necessarily off base. I think, I mean, I think that one specifically stands out for a lot of us just because it was such a 
disappointing fight. It was so far removed from the first one. Rose had clearly grown so much that I know for me, I sat here thinking, okay, I want to see how she's going to deal with these things. And Carla had looked so good prior to that and was being more offensive and more attacking with her wrestling, not just settling into top position and hanging out and grinding out time, but was having effective offense from top position and, you know, smashed out a finish against Yan Zhao Nan, I believe it was. And so it felt like, okay, we're going to get the, you know, we're going to get the grown up version of this fight. Now they, they fought after tough 20. It was great. Inaugural champion, all like that. But now both are matured. Both are better fighters. And it turned into not great. And one of those, why did we make a sequel of this kind of situations to yes. steal your, for me, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker that like, if I liked the first film, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to be at least in on the second film. And if it disappoints, fine. But more often than not, like I'm one of these people that whether it's films or fights, most of the time I'm pretty happy. Like even a bad movie, I'm probably going to enjoy. There's room for all of these things. And so it doesn't, as much as I would love more Godfather twos. Right. I think, the actual lack of them or the the scarcity of them makes them even more better. And so give me a bunch of just solid, solid hitters, solid sequels over and over again. Give me the John Wick franchise. Yeah. Give me the Mission Impossible franchise. I'm in. Yeah, John Wick is going to be more, is a much more kinder way to uh, say what I think like, you know, um, not just the UFC, but I think the general MMA marketing machine goes toward, even even that you want to go back to the mid-aughts and the different promotions there, right? Uh, you know, I was probably going to go with a more crude example, like Human Centipede 2, or somewhere that between there and Saw 2. But uh, bonus points, by the way, if you want to include any type of film analogies. Uh, not to put the pressure on you or me, Spencer, but okay. uh, let's get into our list before we get too, too off track on the beaten path. I know I already burned one selection there, so I'm sorry if you had Rose Carla 2 on your top five list, which... Uh, you know, I felt a little safe burning that one. Yeah, that one, that one you're okay to burn. Are we going five to one? Are we going one to five? What are we doing? Counting you, up? You know what's up. We're going to go count down. So we're going to go from five to one. We'll save okay. what we think is the best for last if okay. uh, we don't sink each other's battleships first. Because even though there's a, a lot to pick from, you know, me and Spencer behind the scenes here, no, no secret, guys, uh, don't be surprised if there's crossover at the same time for a topic like this as well. So Spencer, you go first. There yeah, might. there might be. There might be. You go first, right. sir. Please take the steering wheel. So, so I'm gonna actually like kick this off by kind of cheating a little bit, and I'm Do gonna it. mention two at once. Do it. And it's Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard Part Two and Part Three. <laughs> yes, yes. That happened Thank in you. the same damn year, and they weren't quite the same fight, but they were pretty close for four rounds of the third fight. I mean. Every time I get to go back and watch those fights, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm trans helping your podcast at the moment, but like that first fight, I still don't know how Frankie Edgar survived. It still seems superhuman to me. And then to not only survive, but come out in the second round and be like, okay, now I'm going to go on the offensive was absolutely ridiculous. And I think one of the things for me that made that second fight so fascinating was that the first fight wasn't really great. It was just a fight. Like 
It was a Gray Maynard fight where Gray was the superior athlete, stronger guy, big dude. You obviously, being a Vegas guy and an extreme guy, probably know Gray a little bit. Really was a big dude for light for lightweight. Probably could have fought at welterweight and had a much more happier time in the final couple of weeks of fight camp. But was a huge dude, won that first fight pretty handily. But then Frankie gets the belt and it just made sense. And it seemed like Gray was going to win that title. And there comes, you know, Frankie Edgar, the little engine that could, that just wouldn't stop. And whether you want to argue about the score, fine. I'm here for those conversations and discussions any day. We got a draw, which, I mean, as much as it initially you go, oh man, this sucks. My first thought was, oh sweet, we get to do it again. And so to then run it back at UFC 133, which for the record, 2011, 17 pay-per-views, bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Run it back at UFC 133. And it starts the same way, kind of. Gray Maynard's all over him and Frankie Edgar has to do the like recovery thing all over again. And then to finish it the way he did, he's already busted up. His nose is shattered. He's had to do the recovery thing and then catches Gray Maynard as they're coming out of a scramble and just pounds home those left hands to get the finish. An absolutely amazing trilogy, but really two piece of fights in 2011 that, that kick off my list. Dude, that, that's awesome. I, uh, I feel like by the way, uh, the, the, the rematch number two, I feel like that's like a number five spot on these lists. If, if it ever comes up on any list, it's like a perfect number five kind of pick because it's a great fight, but it's like kind of hipsterish because it's got the draw result that perhaps would yeah. maybe keep people from putting it as high on their taste buds or memories, like you said, right? Um, even though kind of like the Hunt, Bigfoot, Silva things, they're great fights and you're like, what a draw. But sometimes it makes, maybe that one is a little more palpable at the time. It made a little more sense. There wasn't a title on the line, right? So maybe that made it easier to digest. But this one, I just went back to rewatch it because I love it. Uh, I almost cheated and put two as well for my number five. And the one that didn't make it was the rematch, uh, as far as the rematch, a number two rematch goes, which is Maynard Edgar. Everybody knows I love that fight. I got to see it in person. Um, you know, not to name drop, but it was kind of cool also just like to be watching it with like a, a future lightweight that we putting on great fights, Michael Chandler at the time, who was just this young kid who didn't like right. really know anybody. I remember actually going into the MGM for that fight and hearing someone go, hey, Dan. And it was, uh, it was Mike and he's like, hey, can, can, I, can I go in with you? Like he's, he didn't know anybody. He was just like, you know, kind of like, I'm like, yeah, man, let's, let's walk in. Let's go. And then we had tickets from the same people. Uh, shout out to George and Goes. I, I wasn't working with them at the time. I was just friends with them. So being able to go to UFC 125 resolution January was just really cool. And, and rewatching that fight back from the production perspective, I mean, I know Gray Maynard was tired and just going off of fumes. Um, and even his corner was kind of, you know, they knew the rounds were close. They weren't like pumping too much BS in their corners ear. By the way, you want to hear Randy Couture in the corner. I love it. I love Randy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but we have this Captain America image, but uh, you forget Randy had a had a, had a had a potty mouth on him in those corners, man. He did not mince his words. Um, and, and they knew it was close, but still gray looked like a kid on Christmas day when they were announcing the decision. Like you just saw how bad he wanted it and you forget how crushed he was in that moment. And to your point, they did remake the fight, and and, and that's great that your, your response was, we're going to see it again. But that wasn't Dana's response. Dana was going to push forward with the Pettis fight, but then right. he just saw how Gray Mater was just so crushed there on the dais, back when they were still doing dais, full dais post-fight interviews. And he's like, I can't, this kid just poured his heart out. I, I can't, you know, uh, not give him another shot. 
and um, and uh, I, I miss those moments, you know. I, I, I you know, uh, you know, uh, this was very, you know, uh, what do the fans want to see? That'll supersede the UFC's plans, kind of era where they really kind of built their name off of that. This was really in, in still in the prime of that time. And to see them pivot and make that third fight was really awesome. And and to your point of deliver, that's a that's a great selection, Spencer. Well, and it got pushed back too. I think it was supposed to take place at UFC 130, which again yeah. was in Las Vegas. It was a show I was going to be at, so I was looking forward to seeing it live. And then it got pushed back to that October card as well because both guys got hurt. And for me, again, similar to what we were talking about off the top, right? You mm-hmm. add another chapter to that story of now we've got to wait a little bit. Now we've got to who's going to recover faster, who's going to have the better last couple of all of those different things continued to pile up and pile up and pile up. And we got that terrific third fight. So a a rare situation where we get a trilogy with two tremendous fights. And for the, for the purposes of this show, two tremendous rematches. So it felt fitting to kick off the episode. Great, great choice. And I feel much better that I didn't go with that. And I actually went with, Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway at UFC 236. Now, we don't get a finish in this fight. We do have a, a much more definitive decision. Uh, they're different fighters, but it almost felt like a similar dynamic. You know, you get a... Even though Max Holloway has his moments as well, um, he's obviously hurt for some of the most clear and, and definitive times that we've really seen at that point of his career. You know, um, at that level, Dustin Poirier's counters are hitting hard. And it was just such a great dynamic. You know, you have Max Holloway, who I refer to as the builder archetype. But even in my breakdown ahead of it, I wrote builder versus the demolisher. And can Holloway, you know, build enough before getting, you know, whatever he's been able to kind of frame out just demolished by a big hammer from Poirier? And that's what you kind of saw, you know, in in, in striking form. You see Max Holloway trying to quickly build something like if this is some kind of red alert command and two conquer game. And before he can finish building up his base, you know, uh, Dustin Poirier swarms in with ingress. And you just saw that battle going back and forth um, throughout the fight. And this is one of those fights from a technical eye, too. I know a lot of a lot of the analyst nerds like kind of geek out on it. But even just rewatching it for this show, Spencer, I was like, I still pick up on different things and cool things that each fighter did. Um, like every time I watch it, there's so much action in that fight. Yeah, I mean, it's two guys at the peak of their powers, right? And, and I think that's another thing to what we we're talking about here of of what makes these fights exciting, what makes these fights. This to me is is sort of the best version of what we were talking about with Esparza and Nama Yunus too, right? They fought when they were both kids. Max Holloway's debut, I think it was his fifth fight in his career. As I've often bugged him, it was before he grew into his ears. Goes out there, fights hard, but he just, he doesn't have enough to deal with Dustin Poirier. I think it lasts under two minutes. But then we get all these years later, and Max has grown into himself. He's become a tremendous fighter, a tremendous champion. Poirier's had his moments, and then also a bit of a rebuild himself to get to where he is. They're fighting for the interim title. It feels like that moment where he's not necessarily, I don't want to say finally going to get gold because interim title is kind of like gold adjacent. But he's going to have that moment where he's getting a challenge for a UFC title of some sort. It's a tremendous fight. It's a great pick for this because it's it really is that example of when you can can see two guys early and then you see that version several years down the road where they've grown into the best versions of themselves. Such different fighters from that first fight, but still 
really to, to what you're saying of like their styles, just building on those foundations that we saw early with some tweaks and some changes in there. I think Dustin Poirier a little bit, a little bit more different than he was in that first fight, but Max and Max as well eliminated some of the flying stuff kind of kept it a little more ground based going forward, but two young guys that just developed into absolute stalwarts in the UFC and a great fight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, they, they comport themselves how you love to see, not just in the cage, but out as well, which, which, you know, uh, for what that's worth is awesome to see. And yeah, this is, uh, you know, you kind of touched on this earlier and it's why that, uh, you know, I suggest don't complain too hard when a promotion matches up two prospects together early. Because to your point about the, the the stories that can develop between these rematches is you can still get a classic down the road. Like, yeah, it was a short notice fight or whatever between them first off. But look what we were able to see, you know, kind of down the road. And that is the silver lining to seeing fighters match up. It's not the end of the world if one wins or loses early in their career. You can still get a sweet and even better matchup down the road when they're more developed, to your point. Yeah, it's it's always one of those tricky things, right? Like, I, I tend to object to it when we're getting prospects that are starting to get close when mm-hmm. you're starting to get into that top 10 range or even title contention mm-hmm. range yeah then i want to see you keep as many fresh options moving yeah. forward on parallel tracks as possible but yeah in those early days when you're talking about two three four fights into the, a ufc career young kids that are still putting it together great example fairly recently christian rodriguez and cameron simon right a 25 yeah. year old and i think cameron simon turned 23 in a in you know six weeks or so and so great fight good opportunity good test for both guys and five years down the road if they run it back are we going to be any worse for wear having seen it before no we'll be able to look at that and say well look cameron simon had good moments here christian rodriguez needed to do this there now let's see what happens five years later so really smart really smart way of putting that of of not to get too worked up about it when we get them early like that Absolutely. I'm curious, man. I'm curious what your number four is. Okay, so my number four is Spencer Fisher, Sam Stout, too. Nice, nice. So the first fight is, I don't want to say it's controversial, because, you know, it's a close fight. These two dudes went 15 minutes just beating the holy hell out of one one another. And Sam Stout got the decision. Now, some people will argue that he shouldn't have. Fine. He did. We got a rematch as a result. And it was awesome. Again, this is another one of those, the layers to the story. Sam Stout, you know, wins that first fight. I believe it's his UFC debut, if I'm remembering correctly as well. It's against yep. a guy in Spencer Fisher who, to me, is was always one of those unheralded dudes that you just didn't want to see, you didn't want to be matched up with because you knew it was going to be a long night at the office. Then they go and do it again. And it's just, I mean, Tom Gervasi when I was doing my research for this, I went back and read one of the things that Tom Gervais, wrote about it and he summed it up perfectly. There doesn't always have to be a title on the line. doesn't always have to be five round fights. doesn't have to always be high stakes. Sometimes you just get two dudes that are absolute monsters and are going to go out there and swing hammers at one another. And for 15 minutes for a second time, these guys went out there and beat the hell out of each other. It's technical it's crisp they're hitting harder than you would imagine for lightweights especially at that time compared to what we were necessarily seeing it was just just an amazing sequel and still 
one of my favorite fights of all time. I love it. I love it. A great choice. I have it written down here under the honorable mentions. So I'm glad you mentioned it. You know, this was UFC Fight Night 10, I believe, 61207, yep. which I remember that storyline because of that timeline. This was one of the best fights of the year, easily. Yep. You know, it's funny. People consider, uh, some people actually consider the first fight the, the the better, the best fight of the series, even though all three were awesome. Um, but this f- second fight is also widely considered one of the fights of the year. And personally, it's my favorite one. I'm sure it's uh, Spencer Fisher's favorite one. Um, you know, because the first one, too, you, you forget, Spencer Fisher took it on short notice. You know, yep. not, not a guy to really lean on too much of excuses, but you have to wonder about that. Because, you know, Spencer Fisher, win, lose, or draw, his fights were awesome. But as far as the wins go and having an awesome fight... Um, it really came together. I believe he was helping. You look at the timeline. He was helping Jens Pulver train for BJ Penn, uh, a, a rematch there. Um, and, you know, so he was in a camp with, you know, some high-level guys. And, man, his sharping, just, his, his striking just looked, looked sharp um, and was just punctuating the exchanges. It was, it, was, it was really fantastic. Sam Stout, of course, always in great fights as well. Been a part of some great KOs as well. Um, yeah, th- th- this series, any chance you get to mention it, and shout either of these two guys is great. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. It's one of those series, and and they're two guys. It's one of those rivalries. And, I mean, it was a friendly rival, rivalry. Yeah. I remember talking to Sammy before the third one. Um, and he said, look, we've we've been friends ever since. Like, we've stayed in touch. It's always, it's always nothing but love. But it's one of those ones to me that sort of often recedes to the background just because there isn't those championship stakes they're not big names they're not guys that went on to do huge things in the promotion though both continued to have good long journeyman careers and i say journeyman in the proper context where it means a quality fighter that is able to earn their living regularly and be a tough out inside the cage or ring however you want to apply it but it's just one of those ones that for me whenever whenever we're talking rematches i don't know whether it's trying to be the hipster or trying to be the guy that has a little bit more deeper knowledge, but it's one that always comes to mind because the first two fights were absolutely phenomenal. The third fight is still a good fight. I think it came a little bit late in the career for both guys, um, but the first two are just, I mean, if you want 30 minutes of, of fun action to just watch, put those on back-to-back and just enjoy yourself. Now, this is great because you, you're right. Like, And I think these air quote, you know, air quote hipster picks, if you want to call it that, are, are more important, you know, because... Oftentimes we get caught up with these lists on trying to say what's the best, what do people, and, and it's like, that's not the point. Like, like I said, you know, like I said, all the guests, right? It's your list. This is your top five, right? And we'll get to the listener top five for the proverbial, uh, for the uh, for the listener on the other side of the speaker, you know? We'll get to your list, so to speak, there. Um, me is a little different. I, I got to write these, uh, you know, for MMA Junkie and put a, put something on there in the uh, on print. So I want to make sure I'm doing it justice as well. So I may steer a little more. Uh, in, I believe it's my number four. And my number four on that note, I guess, right? Um, this one, again, I, I kind of just alluded to. It may, may go a little more, uh, I don't want to say common, but because these are elite fights, but uh, more predictable, especially those of you who know me. Um, you knew this one's going to be on the list. Usually this always ends up at number one or two, as it, as it should for any list it ends up on. But because I've used it so much and because I, I have honestly just as strong feelings uh, personally, uh, for, for the upcoming, uh, I have it down at number four here, and that is Jose Aldo versus Chad Mendez two at UFC 179. Any battleship sunk on this one, uh, Spencer? Yeah, it, it's my number two. 
All it's right. my number two. It's a, it's a terrific fight. We'll, we'll, we'll note that, and you can kind of, uh, we'll adjust accordingly. You can kind of jump in here. I'll, I'll give it the setup with the volleyball, and you can kind of spike it down. How about that? Sounds good to me. All right. So, yeah, this one, no matter where you put it on the list, you're not wrong. And uh, I don't think anybody could uh, argue that it doesn't deserve to be on the list. It's just, uh, again, you know, kind of akin to the Dustin Poirier, Max Holloway. These are two fantastic fighters, not just rematching, but rematching in their arguable primes. Uh, Chad Mendez, you know, was able, even though he didn't really get to show much of his advancements at the time, was able to show kind of that Dwayne Ludwig influence of the Team Alpha Male that was going on. You know, the, the TJ Dillashaw was collecting a title. Uh, they were doing some good things there. So there were some positive trends to get you excited, even if you were just reading the results that, oh, he just got need the first time around in Brazil. And now he's going back to Brazil. What what should we expect here? And um, and no, what we got was just a fantastic fight with just bell-to-bell action, drama, a little bit of controversy sprinkled in. Shout out to my guy, Gorgeous George Garcia. All great fights need to have a little bit of controversy. Maybe they don't need to, but a little bit of controversy doesn't hurt it, I should say. And I, right. it, it sounds crazy at first, but you think about it, and you're like, no, the that actually, you know, there's a little bit of that in there with the late bell shot, and it just it just brings the intensity. And I don't know if you remember you were what uh, where you were when you were watching this. It wasn't so much where I was, but it was the state I was in. And I didn't have any money on this fight. I was more of an Aldo fan than I was a Mendez fan, but I was also a fan of underdogs. And I just remember Mendez winning me over throughout the performance. And me just almost subconsciously cheering for him, wondering, can he really get this done? Even though they were competitive rounds that I have no argument, obviously, going to Aldo the way they scored it. Um, what were your thoughts on this one, Spencer? So, I mean, the reason it makes number two for me is is it feels like it was the the fight we were meant to see from these two guys. Yeah. The first one is, you know, it's it's got its own it's got its own memorable moments with Aldo racing out into the crowd and having the celebration. And that was certainly great. But I remember watching the first one and there's the fence grab when Chad's going for a takedown towards the end of that first round. And then the knee comes and we're done. And it just felt, it felt unfair. And I'm somebody that will often make sure people try not to use the word fair when talking about anything with MMA, whether it's bookings or results or anything like that, because fair ain't got nothing to do with it. But it felt unfair to me. And so to see them do it again and, and to get it re-racked was great. It's another one of those fights that was supposed to take place, I believe, a month earlier. I think it was supposed to take place in Anaheim. That got kiboshed. They went back to Brazil. So there was that element to it. You asked sort of, you know, dear, to build a really good relationship with Chad Mendez, with Uriah Faber and that whole Team Alpha Male camp at the time. And so... Not that I necessarily had rooting interests, but when you when you talk to people regularly, you want to you want to see them have these moments and have these opportunities. So win or lose, I was happy to see Chad get a second chance at the belt. And then we got the fight that it felt like we should have gotten all along. And we finally got to see these two guys that were the absolute, you know, pillars of the division starting all the way back in the WEC finally get to have that moment in the UFC for me it was the fight of the year that year it was super competitive Aldo rightfully won but it was one of those fights as well where like if you came away from that thinking any less of Chad Mendez you were crazy because it was a fight where 
yeah, he lost. He didn't get the job done. He didn't get a victory. I'm not a big moral victory guys, but I'm a big stock up regardless guys. And his stock went way up in that fight despite the loss. Absolutely. And it was just an all-timer MMA fight. The technique that's on display, uh, the exchanges, the sequences, the pacing. I mean, just insane, you know. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, 25 minutes, all gas, no breaks. Like, Aldo at the peak of his powers. Chad at his absolute best. I mean, it's a loss, but it's his best performance in his career. And I don't say this to, to, to cast dispersions or take away from it at all, but just... Because it's funny and it is as it is of note and arguably apropos with the USADA news, but this wasn't a time period where all the Brazil cards. When you ever you saw the Brazil cards, like through 2013, 2014, and there was a big TNT on the middle of the mat. Uh, not so coincidentally, guys were jacked out of their minds in every fight. I'll just leave it at that. But we got some great fights in that era. I'll also just leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's, there's gonna be when we sit, when we get far enough away from things in this sport, and you know, I know it's coming up to thirty years, but it's, it's still only like twenty something of of Zufa, or whatever we're calling it now. There's gonna be a time when you and I are old and gray that we sit down and and look back on some of these eras, and there are some, there are gonna be some weird pockets to discuss, man. Well, and I, we'll talk about it when we get there, but there are some fights, I don't know about you, in researching for this episode, where I went back to look back, you know, maybe in the 2006, 2007 era, and maybe fighters who both, you know, popped positive and were talked about, uh, you know, widely um, in their career, that maybe I was like, you know, I didn't really think, I never really accused that guy. Yeah, you look buff or whatever, I didn't really, and then you go back to watch some of these, you're like, oh, especially after like now with the USADA era. You're like, oh, oh, I see what people were talking about. Okay, I, I see why people were talking certain ways. But we're not here to do that. Um, we're here to pay respect to these athletes. I just can't help but mention uh, the funny eras that our sport goes through. Um, yes. All right. Give us your, your number three then, sir. Take us to number three. So my number three is a is a pretty standard one, I think, for most people that are going to be making a top five list of rematches. It's Matthews, Frank Drake, too. Nice. And it's just like, so the first fight is a, is a good fight. It's a competitive fight, even though it only goes around. We get the rematch. It's a couple years later. Frank Trigg works his way back. Matt Hughes still at the top of the mountain or back at the top of the mountain. And it just starts and it feels that it, those initial moments, right? The low blow, not called, basically get the, the football referee play on from Mario Yamasaki. And it just, it looks like, all right, well, this is where Matt Hughes is. Rain ends, and Frank Trigg's going to get the title because he's in deep on a rear naked choke, and he got there from clearly a low blow. And then we get the second half of the fight. And then we get, he slams him into the ground. That is still the climactic moment of the Baba O'Reilly pre-pay-per-view, pre-main card montage. And even though I've seen it 70 billion times, both live or you know, just watching the fight myself or watching the montage myself, I still get chills because he scoops Frank Trigg up, hoists him on his shoulder, walks across the cage, dumps him on the ground, and then chokes him out the same way he did in the first fight. And it just, like, initially, I think, this is one of those ones that I've grown to love more as I've gotten older. Initially, it was one of those ones where everybody picked it and I know it's Dana White's favorite fight and all of those things. And so I wanted to do the hipster thing of, 
a push away from it and have something else that's cool and edge. Nah, man, this is this is one of the best rematches of all time. Hands down, no question. I'm not taking arguments. It, it doesn't have to be in your top five, but it's got to at least be on your short list when we're running these things down. I understand that these are subjective arguments, but there's sometimes when you have to be like, nah, but that one needs to be on there somewhere. I agree, man. And speaking of another, uh, you know, even though uh, Trig uh, was only with Extreme Tour for a, a smaller window of time, but, a, you know, a guy like Gray Maynard, another wrestler guy, just so close, right? Always the bridesmaid kind of a deal, right? Like right there, could taste gold, right? This was another one of those classics there, you know, where you have to appreciate the the poetry of that, right? You know, yeah. as, as, as sad as it is for, for Trig or the Maynard side that they didn't quite get it. Um, and I hope it doesn't bother them too much because they have a lot to hang their head high about. But yeah, there's that poetry to it. And, and more so just the slam alone, I feel like makes it deserve it in this list because it's burnt into your brain, you know, even yeah. going back to watch the Edgar Maynard fight, you know, that happened back in what, 2010, uh, when in round two, when Frankie Edgar in the rematch picks Gray Maynard up and scoops him up. Right. It, I was like, oh, Matt Hughes moment. In my subconscious right. in my head, I don't even realize I, I say it. It's just so burnt in. And I don't even think people realize where that reference comes from, to your point, and in defense of that that pick. Right, Spencer? Yeah. And, I mean, we still see it. And, and like you, every time I see somebody, you know, try to carry someone over to their corner to yes. deposit them on yeah. the canvas, it's what I'm thinking about. And, I mean, so what we were saying earlier of, like, years down the road or even probably now there are people that see Frank Trigg refereeing fights and they're like, ah, who's that dude? And they know him from being a referee or they know him from, you know, some of the, the film work he's done or things like that. Yeah. They don't know him as Frank Trigg, two time welterweight title challenger and real quality fighter for a number of years. And so to the FC and a really great performance, a really great fight. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, I uh, <laughs> yeah, I recently, you know, yeah, Frank Trigg's kind of done it all, man. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about more Frank Trigg later, perhaps not in a fight, but he is kind of a part of one of my selections in a weird way, which may give a hint to some of you. Uh, but I'm glad you also picked that over the BJ Penn 2 fight, because I believe, I don't know if that was a Dana in the moment thing where he's like, I think that just surpassed uh, my previous favorite fight. Um, but that was also one that's kind of apropos with Volkanovsky's recent rematch to Makhachev, where... You know, enough time goes by, and you almost... And I feel like more people would put BJ Penn, Matt Hughes, too, over Frank Trigg, too, which, again, I'm more in your camp, Spencer, for what it's worth. But I, I say that because recency bias, uh, even though these are old fights, it was the more recent one. You get a bigger name in BJ Penn. And as time goes, that's the dangerous thing about taking these fights kind of on short notice. You almost forget about that caveat, which is another reason why I, I, I rank the Trigg win higher than the BJ the trig rematch uh, higher than the, the, the pen rematch even uh, is because, you know, you, you forget the caveat that was originally supposed to be George St. Pierre in that slot and Penn had to actually step in kind of short notice and not that he was the best condition anyways and that the fight would have gone well into those rounds that they were going anyways. But uh, yeah, you know, he ends up, you know, injuring himself, doing octopus guard, getting to his back and suffers similar to Volkanovsky, his first stoppage loss, at least inside the octagon at that time, you know, so... Uh, it just as you're talking, it's just crazy. You we almost forget these little details with, with enough time goes by, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that I try to kind of touch on as much as I can in some of my my writing when we're talking about wins and losses and what actually happens in between those 
in between those moments that are noted on topology or or Wikipedia yeah. or wherever you look at stuff, right? It'll tell you the bare bones of of what the situation was. Here's who's here. Here's who won. Here's who lost. Here's the method. Here's the time. Here's the round. Here's where it took place. But if you didn't see it or you don't go back and watch it or you don't remember it, there's so much that can be lost about those fights just in that sort of annotation of of what happened. And so to me, it's a thing that I try to point out and talk about regularly of like, remember, these are the things that happened. This is all the stuff that transpired. You mentioned the BJ Penn fight. People will look at it and go, oh, well, he lost the rematch. He lost the rematch probably because he got hurt. If he doesn't get hurt, what happens? Does he get a second win over Matt Hughes? Like, it it potentially... I mean, I'm I'm watching Loki again, and it's you know another one of those another one of those branches of the timeline that we can go and explore if we want. Yeah, absolutely, man. It, it, it is. I love that too. The alternate alternate histories are kind of crazy. Something that went through my mind as well when you go back to kind of rewatch these. Now, for my number three. Um, I don't know if this one will be on your list, but this one won't be a surprise to my listeners, let's just say, because I recently talked about this. This is ranked rather highly on this list and ranked rather highly uh, on the recent top five middleweight fights that I recently did, and I hate bringing the same fight up again, but I I can't not. When you have a good first fight, um, that's hard enough to overtop, and they still top it with, again, what is like similar to Aldo Mendez, what's considered a great all-timer. MMA fight, I have to put George Santiago versus Kazuo Masaki 2 at Sengoku, I believe, 14. Uh, same year uh, where Anderson Silva, the first fight with Chael Sonnen, right? It was just a crazy, a crazy, crazy year in MMA. Crazy last half of that year because uh, this one comes, I believe, in December or, or so. Sorry, I, I, my, I can't even read my own handwriting. That's how you know you have bad handwriting. But uh, I recently went Fair enough. in depth into this fight. This was a uh, uh, Arguably a fight of the year at that time. I remember MMA Junkie um, posting uh, on, on this fight, and the forums kind of like blowing up when this happened. Of course, this happened, you know, in the wee hours, um, as Japanese MMA tends to go down. So uh, I didn't admittedly watch it live. I had to go back the next morning, um, but I was glad I did, Spencer. I was blown away. If, you, if those of you who've still not watched it since the last top five show, listeners, please remedy that. Um, it's just a great fight. You got a great call. You got Frank Trigg uh, uh, on the call here as well. Again, Frank Trigg, not just a fighter, uh, not just a ref now, but he he did, he actually did a really good job at commentating. Was a former Kazuo Mizaki uh, opponent, um, and uh, which we may still talk about. Um, and yeah, this is just a great back and forth fight, uh, dropping each other, grappling, wrestling. Uh, MMA in the ring, uh, Michael Chavella losing his mind. Any any recollections, any opinions on this one, uh, Spencer? I mean, it's it's a great shout because it's another one of those situations where if you were strictly or are strictly a UFC fan, you have a limited catalog with, with George Santiago. You now see him cornering fighters, obviously, from his time with Black Zillions and now on through you know, working with, with Kamaru Usman and some of the guys at Kill Cliff and things like that. A few fights kind of after the the World Victory Road years, a couple before that, things like that. But this was when, when George Santiago was, you know, one of the best middleweights in the world. And while it wasn't in the UFC and he wasn't fighting necessarily guys that, you know, casual fans were were deep on and, and really understood, 
the run he had from the Strike Force Grand Prix through to this fight into coming back to the UFC, that return, even the return fight with Brian Stan wins fight of the night at UFC 130. Like, this was George Santiago absolutely being a world beater, being one of the best fighters on the planet for his weight class. A tremendous fight. This is another one of those ones where if you want to just sit down and watch two fights back to back, like to just take in the entire series, you can't go wrong with this. Sit down, give yourself, it's not quite two full five minute or two full five round fights. It's four rounds and then a piece of the fifth in both, which is awesome, which is part of what made it awesome is that it was a late finish the first time around and then a yep. late finish or corner stoppage yep. the second time around. Like just sit down and do yourself the favor of enjoying this nearly 60 minutes of action. I mean, and you don't see corner stoppages very much in MMA and I'm of the opinion, like we should see more corner stoppages. We should see, we Agreed. should see more standing stoppages. We should regular, we should, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Regular ties isn't a word, but you know what I'm trying to say? We should normalize, yep. normalize. This. There you go. Um, and yeah, uh, but this is one of those things. And, and even, you know, Frank Triggs are very much of a fighter. So he's like, he can't believe it because, you know, Masaki's arguably up on the cards too. When his corner throws right. in the towel, like not only does the corner throw in the towel, he is up on the cards in the rematch. He so desperately wanted for the title. I mean, yeah. high drama poetry, folks, high drama poetry. This is, this is why we love this stuff. It is. It is absolutely why we love this stuff. And I want to jump into my number two, but we are not only at odds here with the way since we had some crossover, but also I suspect my number two is your number one. In fact, I suspect okay, it's so hard yeah. that uh, I'm going to let you lead off on your number one banking that you're going to knock out my number two and we can just finish with my number one because I, I don't th- I'm going to bet that it's not on your list. We're playing like a poker game here, folks. We don't know each other's right. list. So so my number one right. is Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald. Yep, too. that was my number two. Um, Go ahead, sir. Set it up it, for us. I mean, so this one, there's so much about this one. Uh, I'm in attendance for it, so that's great. That's awesome. Um, wow. Nice. I I had known and covered Rory McDonald for the whole of his UFC career and a little bit, knew him a little bit before he got to the UFC. Obviously, he's a British Columbia native. I am living here in the fine province of British Columbia now. Um, it was a championship fight. And so essentially the setup with PR was if Rory wins this fight, the minute he gets back home to British Columbia, he is coming to Vancouver and he is coming to your newspaper offices. So be ready to interview UFC world champion Rory McDonald on Monday. So that's set in my head all week of let's get this organized. I've got to organize that on the back end of, of this fight and make sure my editors know and make sure we get this all set up. Here's what I want to do. I want to sit down. We're going to do a video. We're going to do whatever we can. It's going to be great. He's going to be all busted up. It's going to make for great drama, great pictures. I know he's not a great interview some of the time, but I have a good enough rapport with him. We've spent a bunch of time together that we can pull something out of him and it's going to be a champ. All of that is there. And then they have that fight. And it's just, I mean, there were moments watching that fight and that card was one of a couple cards that year. Um, We're going into the final couple fights. I just closed my laptop. I just, I'm not live blogging. I'm not tweeting. I'm not doing anything else. I want to just soak all of this in. And so it's UFC 189, originally supposed to be headlined by McGregor and Aldo. It is 
nearly 20,000 Irishmen, Irish individuals in the MGM Grand. It's just an electric atmosphere the entire week. That night is still the craziest live sporting event I have been to. And I mean, I've been at Toronto Blue Jays clinching the American League East. I was at a Stanley Cup winning game when I was very young. This was this was the thing. And so I just closed my laptop and sat there and thought, you know, this, this is probably going to be a pretty good fight. Robbie Lawler is at the peak of his powers during his resurgence. An amazing story to get back to the title or to get to the title and to the top of the UFC. Roy McDonald, obviously, all those ties. And then it's that fight. And there's moments where it looks like Roy McDonald is on the cusp of finishing Robbie Lawler, only to not. And then they have that stare down at the end of the fourth round with Big John jumping in between them. And it's just, they're both beat up. They're both bloody. They're both battered. And it's just heart. It's just grit. And it's one of those times after the fact now, I can look back on it and go, oh God, I feel bad for them. I feel horrible for them because I know the toll that it took on both of them physically. But in that moment, you see them standing there and Robbie's lip is split apart. It's just absolutely torn apart. Rory McDonald is an absolute mess. And they just want it so badly that they both just won't. Neither one wants to break eye contact. Neither one wants to be the one that turns and walks to their corner. They just want to stand there and be like, I'll spend this 60 seconds standing right here if you let me. And they finally go back to their corner and we get a minute into the fifth round and it ends because Rory's body just says enough. Heart-wise, mind-wise, mentality-wise, that kid wanted to com continue competing and his body said, no, man, we're done. We, we just, we can't take anymore. And he's never been, he was never the same after that fight. Robbie Lawler, you know, I think he defended the title once more. If I'm not mistaken, the Carlos yep. Condit fight which, you know, we can argue whether he defended the title once more or not. <laughs> but, like, just say, to have watched Robbie Lawler's rise to that point and gotten to talk to him a couple of times along that way, to have the relationship I have with Rory McDonald and see that fight and be there for that, it's, it's still the number two moment I've been in attendance for as somebody that gets the the great honor of covering these events you had to be there live i was there for these like fight weeks i live in vegas but i never went to the events uh to work or 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 shell up like the money as a fan and uh man i mean to be able to be at these events you know uh we'll talk about the number one because that's my number one regret as far as like a show not being able to be at that's another ironic thing too a lot of these great rematches happen to be on like really great cards like yes. all-time great cards which is yes. insane like Three out of five of my lists are easily um, all-time great cards, and that's not including Poye Holloway 2, which I can't remember the card off the top of my head, but if we're talking about co-main event to main event stretches, that might be your number one. You know, Adesanya Gastelum and followed right. by Poye uh, Holloway. <laughs> right. I don't know if there's a one-two right. punch, right? There might be one that's better than the other individually, but find me a card that has, them, has yeah. two great all-time greats at the end like that, back-to-back. I mean, That's you know, a pretty great fight card. I, I'm I, doing a, I'm doing a list coming up this week for uh, UFC.com of the, of my ten best UFC fight cards. 
that and, one's probably going to have to be on it just because of look the rest of it is is okay there's some good performances it's a bunch of decisions for the most part yep. but when you're closing out with that two piece yeah it doesn't get much better than that and and apropos to Robbie Lawler, the dynamic of that fight with McDonald, the rematches, and great cards. This might be recency bias, but I'll burn it now because we're toward the end of our list. But uh, UFC 290 is w- one of the greatest cards. I think you know it might it might it might make my you know probably my top in my top ten. I don't know how far up it is, but uh, top ten of all time for me. That's pretty big, and it was just an amazing card, right? And Alexander Panto Alexandre Pantoja uh, was an underdog. Kind of like Robbie Lawler, the old vet. People were writing off despite already winning the match the previous time before. You know, he was like Lawler was an underdog coming into that rematch, and one you know what ends up being a great card. Lawler himself was on that card, finished his career on the undercard against Nico Price. And um, I just remember like that. I kept citing Lawler versus McDonald too all fight week, and then especially after with the result with Pantoja and Moreno because it just gave me all those vibes. You know, you look at a guy who's just always been there. Always a dog, um, yet not really maybe given you know the credit he deserves. Everybody knew he you know they're, they're a warlord of sorts. They're here to scrap, but you know maybe not quite getting that deserved respect. And I feel like that was a big thing for Lawler. And then as a McDonald, whether you're a fan or observer, how can you, especially going back to watch that? How can I almost feel guilty? Like my heart is like breaking for Rory. Like, because I'm just like, you you know what the cost was, what you just said, Spencer. And you're just like, oh, my God. And, and and not to sound, like, parenthetical or anything like that or out of place, but it's just like, you almost want to reach out and hug them. Like, no, it's okay, buddy. It's okay, you know? Yep. Like, because uh, you, you get why the hype was, you know. On the other hand, the, the hype was there for a reason, folks, you know. He was being anointed as uh, the second coming of GSP, you know, Canada's next show, however you wanted to frame it. It was there for a reason. And you see those turns, you know. I look back at, you know, Diego Sanchez. It reminded me of Diego Sanchez versus BJ Penn. And I know Diego Sanchez, just like BJ Penn now, is remembered for the back half of his career. But people forget how many fights Diego Sanchez won even before the questionable wins part of his career. Like when he was wiping the floor at welterweight. Like you you, you go back to his record, there's a clear mark of where things, where things stop. There are some of those fights that just do that to a fighter, right? And this was it for Rory McDonald. And this was a... A great fight, but man, the price that they had to pay. Yeah, absolutely crazy. I remember talking to Rory ahead of his fight with Stephen Thompson in Ottawa. I was there covering the card, sat down with him and Faraz, and just kind of the first chance I had to sit just privately with the two of them to just catch up a little bit and, you know, have a conversation. And I I just kind of said, like, dude, I don't want to dwell on it. I don't want to go back to it too much, but, like, can you just walk me through and to hear him talk about it you can feel I could feel sort of the weight of that moment and that's one of the things that I I don't take lightly it's it's one of the things that I've it's one of the reasons I've started to do a lot more video interviews when I speak to people now is a lot gets conveyed in the things that aren't said mm-hmm. um and just sitting there with him and, and watching the way his body reacted to it and watching sort of the facial changes as he spoke about it. Oh. I knew how much it meant going in, but to hear it from him afterwards again is just one of those, like, your heart breaks for these people at times. And I don't mean that in any kind of, like, patronizing, they need to be coddled yeah. or anything like that way. But, like, I know how much this young man put into his career and and dedicated himself to this career 
to battle a whole bunch of, you know, unnecessary criticism, a lot of taunting, a lot of not quite bullying, but like just people giving him shit for no reason. Like, and he's just out here trying to do the one thing, one of the few things that brings him joy and that he's really damn good at. And then to get that close and not get there. It's one of those things that I will forever remember of like, man, like I think there's always, there's always athletes for me that I think of as, you know, they had all the tools, they had all the skills and either they didn't quite put it together. They got in their own way, whatever. Something came up with them that they didn't get to that point. Rory McDonald wrung every single ounce of himself out to try to get that title and he came up short still and that's one of those things that I will forever until I'm done with this think about and think man like as you were saying with Frank Trigg right you get that close and yeah. it just slips away yep it's yeah. it's crazy it's like uh, just like Kazuo Masaki you know he was up on the cards going into yep. the fifth as well and that's where it gets yep. stopped last thing I'll say about this fight before we move on and get out of here and finish up the list is uh, just go back and watch this fight watch especially the last two rounds two plus rounds watch just watch Big John McCarthy um, next to someone like Spencer who has that kind of insight on the ground rapport with these fighters uh, Big John also has one of the best recaps you'll hear of this fight uh, of course he was the man in there but we uh, interviewed on MMA Junkie Radio and he was talking about just his knowledge of you know seeing people getting beat up and could see where the fight momentum was going even before people were and not only was Rory up but he had you know Robbie kind of rocked and in bad shape I believe toward the end of a lot of those rounds right but if you look at it at a certain point even though you know Big John, you know, believe during round three, and as we're fading in around four, Big John is focused in on Robbie, and Robbie's to the point of having to constantly go, I'm okay, I'm okay. But even before you start realizing how bad things are for Rory, if you go back and watch the fight, Big John knew. And Big John gets a lot of crap, whether it's, you know, uh, there's commentating and being a cop, whatever. Uh, you guys know me. I've always been a big fan of uh, Big John, even if he's not the, the biggest fan of me after a, uh, an op-ed I may have written. But uh, I still have a ton of respect for Big John. And, man, you watch him and officiating that fight. Like, his eyes know that Rory's in trouble before Rory, before we know. Um, it's a really cool perspective to watch that fight from. Yeah, I was watching. I can't remember what fight it was. I was watching something today um, that Big John was was officiating and there's a moment before kind of what ends up being the the final round and he checks with the fighter in between rounds he checks as we're getting ready to to come out to start that next round and just gives them the you good like just yeah. that little check-in and it's a thing that a lot of referees do it's a thing it's not you know a john specific thing but mm -hmm. it's those little things that are always telling to me of just you understand where these these guys are at in terms of paying attention to what's happening and how dialed in they are as well. You yeah. know, we're super critical of referees at times, but I mean, they're they're on the ball most of the time. They get it right far 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 more often than they get it wrong and yet, you know, we we tend to remember the times they get it wrong, but yeah, Big John was was absolutely the gold standard for a long time. Great referee overall and and those moments of knowing this is where this fighter's at. Let me check in here. Let me just get that double check, get that little nod, get a response from them. Always a great sign from an official. Absolutely. All right, wrapping up this fight, my number one. 
Now, I, I, I was confident this wasn't going to be on your list because for whatever reason, it wasn't on most people's list when I did the skim around to kind of get some ideas to make sure I'm not missing anything, you know, so forth, which is crazy because this fight, although it might not be my number one MMA fight, like I said vehemently for about a decade, right? This is my number one MMA fight. And, you know, uh, the last half a decade or so, I don't know if I can really say that, obviously. You know, uh, even though the, the technique is good, you still have submissions, ground and pound, takedowns, a spinning back fist um, here or there. But uh, but it does happen on, on what is still, I feel, one of the best events of all time. In fact, when I went back to rewatch this fight, I wanted to watch the beginning because it was a pride fight. And, of course, I'm talking about pride 33, the second coming, one of the greatest cards of all time. I ended up watching it from start to finish. You have the aforementioned Kazuo Masaki, who used to be the Pride Welterweight Championship, which Dan Henderson held going into this event, facing Frank Trigg, who did not just fight and commentary, he did it in the same night, folks. Of course, you had Josh Barnett, who does a great job on commentary. I didn't even realize he does a really great job kind of soothing the egos, um, you know, uh, this is a time where, you know, they, they don't have Morrow. They don't have the normal crew. I would be real curious of what the story was be behind that. I know this was their second uh, second event Pride had over here in Las Vegas. This was at the Thomas and Mac Arena, right across the street from where I get tattooed, um, right down the street from where I live now, kind of. Uh, very familiar with this. I had friends in attendance at this show, so much so that I could look into the audience and start recognizing people. And you can recognize people, too, even famous people from Nicolas Cage, to Chuck Norris, uh, to uh, who else did they have there? I mean, it, uh, Pride pulled out all the stops. You know, uh, I'm curious, you know, what they did to, to, to get all these kind of people out here. But it was quite the event, and of course it is headlined by Vanderlei Silva versus Dan Henderson too. The first fight was uh, competitive, more competitive than even I remembered because Dan Henderson is able to hang hang tough, even though he feels like he's kind of like hanging on to his life. Like a lot of Vanderlei opponents, he have Vanderlei towering over him, kicking at his legs. But Van, Dan Henderson hangs tough. Is actually able to mess up Dan Henderson's uh, Vanderlei Silva's eye. Of course, Vanderlei Silva still wins the fight, and we get the rematch. I believe five or six years later at this point. Uh, this is uh, of course uh, in two thousand. Uh, was it two thousand seven? Uh, yeah, February twenty fourth, two thousand seven. And this is the first time where, you know, the double champ era, all this stuff. Well, as far as modern MMA goes and major promotions, this is the first time it happens where a dual double champ. And that is when Dan Henderson goes up and takes the what Pride called the middleweight championship. Of course, it right. was at, it, of course, it was, you know, 200, 203 pounds or something like that. Uh, it was basically the 205 pound division. It was basically the equivalent to light heavyweight. Um, which meant Dan Henderson being a welterweight champion meant you know he was the 185 champion. It kind of you got to do that math there. But Vanderlei Silva, I know he was beaten by Crow Cop before this, so it's not like he wasn't stopped before or anything like that. Um, it wasn't like he didn't lose because he did lose, even though he didn't. He was the only uh, he, uh, he uh, Bustamante, Bustamante, I believe. So I don't have it in front of me. I don't know what the details of those fights. But basically, as far as title fights go. Uh, he was the only Pride middleweight champion that, that, that the organization knew. And that was a five to six year run at that time. So even though like there's Grand Prix and these non-title bouts that you will see maybe like a loss or a draw or whatever here for Vanderlei Silva. Right. Um, it was still, he was still recognized and respected is what I'm trying to say as 
a literal, still a, a Tyson of the division, right? A Tyson of the sport. This is the guy who really put shoot box on the mat, map. Even at this time, even though Shogun already had his 2005 run and put himself on the map, like Vanderlei was the guy, right? You see Rafael Cordero in the corner, um, you know, which is which is great. Um, you know, we talked about like all these American top team coaches that you see in corners now. It's like go back and watch Mike Grant Brown. Go back and watch George Santiago. Right. Right. Like, that's how older yeah. we're getting. But then there's some of these dudes who also fought like uh, Rafael Cordero, who have been in the corners for these legendary fights and are still in the corners today. You know, and then you've got Matt Linlin, Team Quest, of course, the late great Sean Tompkins, by the way, who worked with Randy Couture and Dan Henderson at this point of the career. Uh, I was lucky enough to take some classes under Sean Tompkins at Extreme Couture. So, you know, uh, you're really awesome kind of ensemble, you know, going into this fight. And you get a bit of everything, you know, Dan Henderson and Vanderlei Silva are just rocking each other back and forth. It's insane. And by the way, we go back to watch this fight. I caught this this time. I didn't catch this before, Spencer. But when they're going back to the replays of round one where it's just back and forth of the guys rocking each other, um, one of my favorite things on UFC fights and is rewatching Joe Silva's reaction. Like, we all know the classic Stefan Bonner, John Jones, where he goes, ah, and loses his mind, and Joe Rogan lights him up on the replay, right, and makes fun of Joe Silva. They don't acknowledge him on the broadcast but joe silva and lorenzo fertita are actually in attendance at this pride event and they're sitting about three or four rows up and they're perfectly captured and you see joe 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 silva say what you will about him the guy is an absolute fan right and yeah you i was see gonna him say just, there may not be a bigger fight fan yeah ever than joe silva he is losing his mind he's like whoa, whoa. he's like he's quagmire at the strip club it is literally that animation gif minus the money falling out of his pockets he is losing it no frank fertita no dana but Lorenzo and Joe Silva are at this event, and good for them, because it was a great event. Of course, Van, uh, Dan Henderson, known for his right hand, right? Even at this time, it's already he's already known for it, but it was one of the best left hook knockouts you see. Knocks him out with the left hook. Vanderlei Silva goes out cold. You get your classic... Pride music playing, right? The confetti coming down. I mean, it is it is just classic, man. Um, it, 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 it's what made Dan Henderson and cemented him as one of my favorite fighters then and still of all time. Always been a big fan of these fighters who go up and wait and take these crazy challenges. And uh, it paid off for Dan Henderson uh, uh, this time. So that's my number one. Yeah, it's, it's another great shout. It's another one of those ones for folks that only caught on to them each when they came for what I, I will call their extended UFC run. Each of them had obviously yeah. made kind of one-off appearances very much earlier in their careers. But once they finally came over and they had all of this pride history behind them, if you only saw the tail end of things, if you only saw the later career version of each of these men, go and watch some of these fights. However you need to get them, whether you need to get physical media from your friends that are nerds that still have DVDs and, and have stockpiled these things, or if they still have VHS tapes and you have a VCR, then by all means, go and burn those old old grainy things. Or if you want to go on Fight Pass or wherever else you get your fights from, go watch them. Because there's a reason I have a Evan Showman sketch of Vanderlei Silva greeting me when I walk in my door. That's so like, awesome. <laughs> this dude so awesome. was a killer. And for Dan Henderson, as you said, to go out there already was the welterweight champ middleweight champ in pride to go out there i just remember the thing for dan henderson that always stands out to me is having those two great big oversized shiny silver belts yep. on his big broad shoulders 
and it just looking like the coolest thing ever because he's got both of them. And that means he's the baddest dude on the planet. Now, it didn't necessarily go that way when he came to the UFC and lost back-to-back title fights, but so be it. For that moment, when he knocked out Vanderlei Silva, it's pretty hard to argue against Dan Henderson being one of, if not the baddest dude walking God's green earth at that time. This is an amazing pick. Yeah, he unfortunately had to run into like uh, one of the few uh, times you got focused prime Quentin Rampage Jackson. Yeah. And, you know, a, a guy uh, named Anderson Silva in the prime of his title yeah. run, no big deal. Yeah, kind of came in against some absolute killers. Fought Rampage overseas. That's also part of, I'm sure, a kind of weird yep. thing of like going across the pond to fight this one and probably on a weird time based on when they wanted to air. I think it was one of the... One of those tape-delayed Spike TV jobs that we got back in those oh, days. It was awful. I was playing a show in a- 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 ASU, next to ASU, so there was a bunch of party kids there, but it was a punk rock show, and it was a rebuild fest. It was cool. I got to play with some of my favorite bands, and I was all bummed because I was I, me and my bass player were like big big, big MMA fans, right? And uh, they, had the, they had the weird tape delay, and I'm just doing like crowd guy talk, you know, trying to kill time while, you know, guitar player tunes or whatever. So I'm like, all right, guys, so who you got between... Rampage and Hendo. Dude, if there was a tumbleweed, Crickets. it would have just rolled right through there. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch of yeah. kids in black shirts just looking at me wide-eyed, blinking. What? what we don't watch say? fighting. We, we don't, don't like fighting. All right, this one's called. <laughs> yeah. On to the next song. All right, and on to the listener list so we can uh, I can get my guests out of here at, at, at an apropos time and pay off your guys, uh, of course, uh, contributions at the PYM podcast on all social platforms if you want to follow or contribute the show at Dan Tom MMA uh, make sure you hit like and subscribe here appreciate that so you want to follow us here that's Dan Tom MMA as well on YouTube so Dan Tom MMA at the PYM podcast the protecting neck podcast not too uh, crazy we got Christopher at Aguilar MMA he says give me Aldo Mendez I imagine too Santiago Masaki you copy of my list sir no no good so far Melendez Thompson, great shout, great series. Speaking yep, of great, great lightweight series. series, right? Edgar Maynard and Hughes Trigg. It's like half of Spencer, half of A combination of, me. of our lists with, with a the, little strike force sprinkled in. That's getting an A-plus for me, not that I'm grading these or in any position to. Uh, Dingus, actual Dingus, says, damn motherfucker. Okay, well, I appreciate the shout. Here we go. I got my guy Dan Albert, uh, analyst I respect, at typewriting DA to follow. He goes, I'll give you 11. Silva versus Jackson. Uh, that... There you go. That's a, that was a solid one. We had the uh, Muay Thai uh, knees there in Pride. Uh, Romero versus Whitaker. That's on my honorable mentions list. That'll make the actual honorable mentions list. I know. It's always the bridesmaid with me, that fight. Santiago Masaki. We talked about that. Lawler Roy. We talked about that. Uh, Diaz McGregor. Really underrated. Uh, not underrated because it's so talked about, but uh, that it's 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 really good. I You know, for people that want to just hate on things because it's popular, I'd say pump the brakes. That's, that's a... I, I really enjoyed that that rematch, the uh, Diaz uh, McGregor. Not so much you, Spence. I enjoyed it. I I mean, I was fortunate to be in the building for UFC 196, and so the first one just lingers so much differently for sure, me. Sure, of um, course, of course. And it and it just all all of the everything that happened leading into that fight just felt like it took away for me a little bit from it that we had the you know retire. It should have been at UFC 200. I'll just yes. come out and say it. It yeah, should yeah, have been absolutely. UFC 200. And for it to not be there, it was like, oh, my God, we're going to. I remember I was getting on a plane to go cover something. I think probably UFC 197, maybe. 
And that's when Connor announced his retirement. It was like, oh, oh great. Yeah. So this is what we're going to talk about now for the for the rest of this. I, I, I was Connor, Connor's out. Yeah. And now UFC 200 is in more shambles. No great. one was no one was more deflated than Misha Tate. I was in the room in the practice room when she got the news that it was deflated. Yeah. She was uh, standing to make some money, extra money off that. Yes. And you could argue that deflated into her performance. And I will say the last thing, McGregor versus Dia. Uh, I was babysitting Rick Story's dog in a hotel room in Vegas during that that fight, and nice. that's notable because Rick Story got kicked in the face by uh, Cowboy Cerrone on that same card. So that was really, really awkward. But uh, you know, the, uh, the Cowboy Tekken combo. That's right. But uh, you know, got uh, you know me. I'm, I'm I'm here for the the dogs and shared a coach, so I was just doing a doing a favor. Rick Story was a nice guy, though. Um, he has uh, Holloway versus Poirier, Edgar versus Maynard, Aldo versus Mendez, Volkanovski, Holloway. Okay. Shouts to that one. Uh, Joe B versus Ortiz. That's low-key good shout. I, I like that one. Um, yeah. Always, always shout out to Joe B. Yep. Uh, speaking of flyweights, Pantoja Moreno. Again, that was that one's going to be right up out there on my honorable mentions list. And, uh, yeah, and Jacek versus Gedalia. Um I love that one. That, that's, that's yeah, another that's one. a good call. That was one where uh, I feel like I nailed the dynamic on that one pretty well, even though it seems obvious now in hindsight, knowing both fighters... Uh, Ghost Phantom, my guy Ghost says, not very creative entry, but Lawler versus McDonald 2 and Figgy versus Moreno 3 for the technical adjustments. All right, I, I appreciate those shouts. I mean, you, um, could, you could put any of number two and number three, Figgy Moreno in there. Moreno Moreno yeah. winning the belt and Fig, Figgy winning it back. Very good, very good selections. Yeah, although uh, I think the first one, despite all the fouls and the draw, is like my favorite fight between those two. That's because I'm weird. Um, James Kendrick says Whaley versus Joanna too, just because of the result. I know you guys are big Whaley fans. It's hard though. That's the same reason with the Romero Whitaker two fight, which is granted less of a popular opinion and less of an obvious opinion. But if I feel or you feel like the first fight is better than the rematch, I felt like it was hard to justify putting it on my best rematches list. If I like the first fight better, if that made sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. I understand that. Um, not that it's wrong if you and anybody did. Uh, Loathe, at Stacked MMA, Jones slash Cormier. Cormier came in much improved and was winning right with a better game plan before his core reaction of ducking into kicks ended it. Uh, Cormier was doing much better than people realize. I do. I would agree with that from memory. But yeah, that was... It, it's also one of the best John Joneses, man, as far as like him in boxing range as well in that second fight, you know, which you also have to give credit for, too. Uh, he also says, Leon Usman, too. Uh, four rounds of thinking... Why book this Squatch Mass rematch only to have it end with the headshot done? I don't blame that one. Yeah, that one's tough. That one's tough because it was it was okay for for twenty four minutes, and then it was oh shit for a minute, um, or in that final minute when when headshot bang landed. Uh, one other one, a couple others from my from my list. I had Hendo Hendo Hua too. Obviously, they're nice. they're back yes. and forth exhaustion fest. How the hell? How the hell that? Mis- yes, great that shout. One and and shout to Bellator one hundred and six Eddie Alvarez defeating Michael Chandler in their rematch. Both of their nice. fights, both of their fights were amazing. I wrote uh, that I, one down I, as well. I, I believe their first one took place the same night as Hendo Hua two. Yep. So yep. that day goes down in history as good lord. There's some real good fighting going on. Yeah, it was funny, man. I was just watching Gil Martinez screaming at Gray Maynard in the corner for Maynard Edgar too, going like, "Oh, just just hold on, Gil. In a couple years, you'll be in the same position. You're gonna get you're gonna get a championship win with Chandler over Alvarez." 
Um, yeah. You know, that was a great one, too. I wrote that one down. Uh, last uh, last uh, listener list from my guy, Andrew. Uh, great grappling uh, follow along as well. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Open Note Grappling. Open Note Grappling is his uh, handle. First five that came to mind, Alvarez versus Chandler, speak of the devil. GSP Hughes, classic. Classic, got to mention that one. Lawler McDonald, all right. Connor Diaz, we talked about that. And Jones Cormier, yeah, we talked about that one too. All all great choices there. Um, that ends up for listeners' lists. Um, anything before we get out of here that wasn't mentioned that you had written down? No, I mean, I, I pared this down. I whittled it down to, to a fairly short list, and, and I think we covered everything for me. But uh, there were some good listener ones. The the Yenjechik Gadella shout is a good one. Yep. That moment where, where Joanna calls her to the center of the cage is still maybe the swaggiest moment I've ever seen of anybody in the octagon. That is. Shouts, that to, is. Joanna, shouts to Joanna Champion, now, always, and forever. That is awesome. Uh, I will shout uh, DJ versus Henry Cejudo, too. Um, Dominic Cruz versus Uriah Favor too is a classic. Uh, even though this was an awful fight, you could arguably say this was one of the biggest rematches, or it was billed. It was definitely billed as the biggest rematch. It was the first UFC primetime. That was BJ Penn versus George St. Pierre too. You want to talk about right. big rematches, even though it was a complete dud. Um, Liddell Quinton Jackson was a big one. Liddell Ortiz yeah, too I mean, at the time could, was a yeah, big one. Yeah, I was going to say we could go into the the Liddell Couture series, the the Liddell sure. Ortiz series. Those certainly have to get shouts. Um, Poirier versus McGregor, too, is, is, is a solid one. I know it's more popular and more maybe obvious, I guess, but I just wanted to shout that. And I won't mention this one because it may come up in my top five 90s fights, but uh, I will mention a 90s fight in Pancrase 8 that was Mixed Rules. Uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Maurice Smith, too. Mixed Rules fight. Real cool one. All right. There you go, Dan Tom. Dan yeah. Tom going into the vaults for that one. Got to, have to go. Have to go. We'll talk. We might talk more about that one. Uh, when I finally get my guy uh, Kyle from Combat Chronicles on for our top five '90s fight, that's a that's been a slowly but surely uh, tape study to try to break away and, and dive back into those bad boys. But I've been slowly doing so. But man, this was a blast for top five rematches. Spencer, thank you for doing this with me, man. This was this was fun as always, dude. Of course, man. Anytime you call, I will answer. I will be here. I will do the work to to come up with a with a solid list for you. I love this stuff. Well, before I let you fully go, though, can you just tell uh, the listeners if they want to do what I want to do, what I do, I should say, and follow you both on socials as well as Substacks or anything else you got going on you want to plug? The floor is yours, man. The easiest way to do it is follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite, S-P-E-N-C-E-R-K-Y-T-E, all one word, all lowercase, no extra anything's in there. I shamelessly promote just about everything I do at least on X, try to get it all up on IG, but I'm not as, I'm not as good with it as, as I should be, but that's where it all is. Uh, UFC.com, the sub, the keyboard Kimura Substack newsletter. And then once a week over at OSDB sports, but we're going to be, we're going to be looking to, uh, expand that here in the coming months. So keep an eye on, on that. We'll be doing some, some fun stuff over there. UFC related in the, in the not too distant future as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just to add to the Spencer's plug, it's not just a great writer, great uh, source of knowledge, uh, c- content creator, uh, mind person. I invite on your podcast, by the way, as a resource. Um, but even with you know the the substacks to his written stuff, whether you, you know you, you like even just like things as mundane as oh you know uh, uh, picks or whatever, but more specifically, I'm speaking to the technical nerds that listen. I say that with love for listen to this show. 
Um, Spencer's one of the guys out there does one of my favorite content pieces that I know has been rightfully catching on more so, which is the coaching, which is the, uh, you know, getting in the minds of coaches, whether it's coaches that maybe, you know, I already have a relationship like Eric uh, or coaches that you're not familiar with and that I've gotten to get familiar with, thankfully, through the help of Sean's, uh, Spencer's article, sorry, Sean Madden is who I wanted to shout out as well. Um, I just love the selection that you get on there. You've got my guy Tyson Chartier, I know you, uh, another guy I respect. Um, I, I really appreciate you doing this because I know that that fighters and the names that you know fans are familiar with. That's what we tend to base a lot of our content, obviously and rightfully about. But man, I, I love the calories spent to get into the minds of the coaches, and I want to thank you and appreciate you for doing that content. I appreciate that, man. It's been uh, it's funny the the first. The one-year anniversary of my a conversation with Series is today. First guest was Tyson. He was actually one of the people that put in my head the idea of doing the Coach Conversation Series. He and I have built a pretty good relationship here. Over the last couple of years, we got talking about kind of doing some breakdowns, doing some stuff, giving some coaches some opportunities. Uh, so to him, Safe Saud, Eric Nexick, Sean yep. Madden, yep. Uh, Elliot Marshall, Mark Montoya, all the people that have stopped Great. in over the years. I mean, just for me, and I, I talked to Sean uh, a couple of weeks ago now, 10 days ago now, and just told him like, one of the best things, one of the smartest things I've done in the last two years is introduce this series. Cause it means that before every pay-per-view, I get to sit down with really smart people and pick their brain and learn from them. And so that other people are enjoying it, that other people are consuming it, whether it's, five people or 50,000 people. I'm happy that it's resonating with anybody. So your kind words are greatly appreciated. And uh, your support always has been as well, my man. I appreciate it. No worries. If you want to uh, support this podcast, of course, it's at the PYM podcast on all social platforms. You can find me at Dan Tom and Mays. You can see on the screen as well as see at Spencer Kite to find Spencer. And again, all the things that he just mentioned there. You want to support this show uh, that is free. Of course, it is supported by my website, mixmarshallanalyst.com, which of course you go click through. There are uh, click-through links, whether you shop it on it or Amazon. Uh, you got to scroll down, maybe toggle to the right if you're on the mobile there. And, of course, there is a secure PayPal link if you just want to donate to this free show straight up. Also, in the link tree descriptions where you can find me, again, at all social platforms, at DanTomMMA. Hit the like if you haven't done so already. Subscribe. I will link up some other past top five videos if you want to continue to peruse through the channel on YouTube. Thank you to our audio listeners on iTunes. Five-star ratings and reviews are appreciated. In fact, if you get them in soon, you may be uh, read just like I read listener lists here on the next program here to four. So until next time, please enjoy these weeks off. Get outside. Enjoy family, friend, friends, uh, furry creatures, whatever your definitions of friends or family. Just uh, put the love out there, and hopefully you're getting it back. And always protect your necks.